Welcome to Paul.com Security Weekly, episode 49 for October 19th, 2006. This episode is sponsored by Singress Publishing, where you can learn how to hack Kismet, secure RFID, and learn how to cheat at information security management. Listen to the question at the end of each show, then go to the Paul.com blog and be the first to post the correct answer to the comment section to receive a free copy of any in-stock book from the Singress website. This episode is also sponsored by Core Security Technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Now with version 6.0, put those <clears throat> smug OS X users in their place with newly supported client platforms. Now with AIX support, just released within the last few days. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration and IDS testing tool. This podcast is also sponsored by Astaro, the makers of the Astaro Security Gateway line of security appliances, offering complete protection from network, web, and email security threats. Visit them at the web at www.astaro.com. And also be sure to stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the podcast. From a star. Listen, Paul, I do not think that Mike wants you to say that you can hack Kismet. You can hack with Kismet, if you so wish. I say you can learn how to... Oh. Hack Kismet. <laughs> hack with Kismet. Oh. But I think the title... What is the title of the new of the book? I don't know. Oh. Sorry, Mike. I'm just pulling you up. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Pulling your pull my chain. Wow. <laughs> anyway, welcome to this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly. Your small, black, curly chains. Yes. I am <laughs> your host, Paul Asadorian. <laughs> with small, black, curly chains. And I am your co-host, Larry Pesci. We all and, uh, yes, Twitchy, that would be me. Oh, Jesus. And I'm uh, Mr. C. Hey, Mr. C, is this show going downhill already? Yeah. You guys make sure that at the beginning of every show. No, I'm going into serious mode right now. <laughs> serious Done. mode. I'm in serious mode. Let's get, let's, let's and, talk NV about this. NVRAM set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> serious mode. Serious mode equal one. NVRAM commit. <laughs> Cat dev, you random dev DSP. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm an oh, idiot. That was really some geeky stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was. Oh, oh boy. boy. Oh boy. So oh boy. <laughs> Every oh time boy. you say oh boy, take a drink. <laughs> oh boy. Hey, what do you say we do announcements with um, some McDonald's Latin music in the background? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I just All thought right. this song was so cool. Because we're actually going to talk about McDonald's today. We are. So, no show next week because the Paul.com Security Weekly studios are moving. What? We will release our AirPone video instead. So, we're going to continue to come with you with some content. It just won't be our regularly recorded and, and Larry, we're going to skewer you and put an RFID chip inside you? We are. Um, are we going to cook you? Um, <laughs> only if you like to eat my meat. <laughs> Which I have, because I've been to Smokey Bones before. Oh, all right. So, yeah, um, we do have plans to do my RFID implant as a video segment. Um, we have all of the stuff we need. It's just a matter of finding the time with the studio move and all. But it will happen soon. We have a Frapper map. We're in the iTunes store. We have a Cafe Press store. We have some forums over at forums.friendsandtech.com. And uh, we're still deciding on a... Um, Actually, no, we did decide. Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's take some more time to decide. All right. Your music's over. 
Uh, yes, the music. Would you like me to adjust the volume? <clears throat> we can still continue the announcements mm. without music in the background. Yes. So, um, Cedric Blanchard, the author of Wi-Fi Tap, yep. actually wrote in and has some corrections. Yes. While Wi-Fi Tap is not necessarily a covert channel, although it could be used for that, as Cedric tells us, yep. um, the idea behind Wi-Fi Tap, and I, I misinterpreted this. I read about Wi-Fi Tap a while ago, and the reason it made it into the show is because it's sort of an update to the code is that a non-associated station in monitor mode can communicate with associated stations. So Cisco has this concept of PSPF, perfect something forward. It basically yeah, yeah, says yeah. that associated clients can't talk to each other. Right. Aruba has the same concept. And if you're in monitor mode and you're able to send packets to an associated station, then you can bypass this functionality, which is why he wrote the tool. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cedric, for writing in. And thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And he links to a uh, link which we should put in the show notes yep. as well. As to one of his presentation. We also had some corrections on Traceroute. Yep. And I don't remember all of the details. However, one of the corrections was that when a client performs a Traceroute, and the person who wrote in was absolutely correct, when a person does a Traceroute, the TTL of the first packet is actually set to 1 and not 0. And he's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. The first packet is set to 1 because what happens is the first router gets it, decrements it to it. 0, and goes, oh, it's 0, and sends an ICMP message, message back, back to the host. Correct. And there was, there was another one about the response of the final station. Yes. What was that about? Something I don't remember. Something about an ICMP echo type. We'll have to look into it, but we will. We will correct the second part on, on next week's show. Sorry, I dropped the yep. ball on that. Um, so I will post a updated uh, little flash animation slide yep. thinger uh, with the appropriate corrections. And thank you very much for people who correct us because... Um, we can't always get everything right in a weekly hour-long show. Sometimes yep. there will be mistakes, and we're more than happy to correct them. So thank correct. you. Correct. So humble. We're just normal guys. Yeah. Who drink a lot of beer. Fortunately, we are. In a normal way. Glasses and bottles. So do we have uh, do we have a segment this week or no? We have a lot of stories to talk about, so it's perfectly okay. I heard uh, Joe mention adjusting volume. And it, that's a funny story, <laughs> but it's has nothing to do with anything. It's no, absolutely stupid. It's stupid. Okay, uh, so we're gonna skip go right, right along stories. to stories. <laughs> so yeah, it's no, no tool of the call. week, no story. Time <laughs> oh, it, that has something to do with tool of the week. Adjusting volume has much to do with tool of the week. Yeah, but not your tool. We don't <laughs> want to talk about your tool. All right. It is so exciting. I can smell it. Give us the juicy stuff. I mean, there was a lot of higher math, which I just don't get. How much did you have to drink? You're right, Larry. We are sorry, but this program has ended and no further calls are being taken. Thank you for calling. I am your faith healer. Firefox presents Ways to Get Rid of Your Old Web Browser. Number 67, Beat It to Death. Number 91, Kill It in Its Sleep. Number 112, Electrocution. There are many ways to get rid of your old browser, but only two reasons to do it. Now there's Firefox, and Firefox is free. 
And we're back with the stories. Yeah. Good. I did remember to push record. I, I, had, a, I had a moment hey, there. Hey, <laughs> I don't see a Apple iPod virus on the... It's in there. Oh, good. Well, we're going to mention it in this first story. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Da-da-da-da-da. I'm loving it. <laughs> My McTrojan. I like that. <laughs> the McTrojan. Is that a size of condom? <laughs> it's a new sandwich for McDonald's with condoms in it. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps going and going and going. Actually, oh. actually it's even worse than that. It's a... Uh, Everybody probably read about this. Maybe not, though. Uh, McDonald's Japan shipped 10,000 MP3 players as prizes in a competition. And these were conveniently preloaded with a QQ pass password-stealing Trojan. How convenient. Oh, <laughs> uh, Just goes to Is show that you. part of the new Monopoly contest? <laughs> yeah, that was the yeah. losing piece. That's the go to jail. <laughs> oh. You get a virus. Yeah. Let's go to the doctor and get a prescription kind of losing did did anyone read apple's actual yeah um, yeah it's, it, it went a little something like this the release for okay first of all let me tell you what it said and then we can comment okay. on it how's yeah. that um as it, and this is a quote directly from apple.com forward slash support forward slash windows virus now all right let me read it so it says as you might imagine we are upset at windows for not being more hardy against such viruses and even more upset with ourselves for not catching it. So my first comment is, first of all, Apple itself is smug, not just its users with mm-hmm. evil glasses. And if anyone's playing the drinking game, it's time to drink. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey. Emo glasses and Apple. <laughs> but Ooh, popcorn. for there a Windows virus to insert itself into this process... Did someone have to be running Windows at Apple to get this virus onto an iPod somewhere? You know, it's, it's, or it's not, how did they get it yeah. on the iPod to begin with? It's they were testing mic- boot camp. It's not Microsoft's fault for being... Oh, no, it is Microsoft's fault partially for being exposed to viruses and all. I mean, there are holes in any software. But uh, the way Apple worded it... Not to mention, when is when are one of these companies going to be held res- uh, responsible for handing out viruses to people that might cause real damage? That's ridiculous. And I and I think it's Apple's responsibility to virus check those right. damn hard drives before it, they release. It, from, it my, from my it understanding, when this happened, when they were doing testing at the factory, they hook them to a machine to verify that the uh, USB portion is functioning properly. My, this is what I've read in some of the other stories. And one of the Windows machines they attach it to was already infected, and it's a worm, so it jumps to mass storage media that gets plugged in. That's interesting. Ouch! Smoke. I think. Um, Apple's, um, <laughs> if anyone wants to know what the smoke reference is, email, email to joe, joe at paul.com. Paul. Com. If you want a better response, email twitchy. <laughs> <laughs> at paul.com. Com. And no, we won't tell you. So. so my whole thing with this Apple story was just their general attitude towards security problems in general. They always play them down. If you look at the they always whole, blame it on other people. Yeah, they yeah. blame it on other people. They point the finger. They play it down like it's not a big deal. Like one less than one percent of the video iPods available for purchase after September twelfth, two thousand six. Do you know how many iPods? That yeah, is? which is what what They're ten huge, million units. Yeah. They're huge sellers. That's a huge number of iPods carrying a virus. That a good number of those are probably going to be plugged into Windows boxes and and try and infect them. Dude, the people who got uh, infected with viruses were just using third-party hardware, okay? It's obvious to me that it wasn't Apple's fault. And that's what and I'm leaning towards is their poor response. Yeah. Their, and not, I mean, poor doesn't even do that justice. Their atrocious response 
to the wireless driver vulnerability did, is just did uh, Mac provide attitude. did Mar- Mac provide the MP3 players for McDonald's? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Ouch. It was the same manufacturing plant. Don't. Now, um, how often does this happen? I mean, how many times am I am I going to buy a USB stick and plug it into my Linux box and oh wait, no, I'm not. But <laughs> am I going to? You know, does this happen on other mediums? Uh, out there, it like, does. does that happen? There was, a, yeah. there was a creative player that had a similar problem, ah, and yeah. as this problem, uh, as I've seen it this week, um, there's been lots of different store people talking about different instances where this happened. So yep. this is obviously yeah, the, not this, the first time. In the the early '90s and late '80s, there was a number of computer game manufacturers that distributed viruses on one of their floppies for the game by accident. Mm. So it happens. It does, but uh, the response maybe not so good. Yeah. What's this about one in three users writing down passwords? Yeah. So apparently... I like this. Larry posted this to the blog. This was good. Yeah. Apparently, uh, some some guys did some research. Um, It is Nucleus and... Oh, come on. Come on up here. Knowledge Storm uh, found that a company or companies are trying to tighten their uh, IT security by changing passwords, etc., which just forces the users to write them down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that's a that's a pretty big exposure. I mean, on some some testing that I've seen, actually going into a facility and seeing a pa- username and password written in Sharpie magic marker to the monitor of the workstation, <laughs> in a public area. <laughs> what? See, Ouch. this is something. I think Twitchy, you took that class that I did too on forensics. Correct. Uh, they're taught they being forensic people that if you're looking for a password. Uh, actually, do you remember the legality of it? What you want to do is look under the keyboard for under, us. Yes. For, because many users will just put their password right there. And yeah. actually, what is the, the legal? I don't recall. I must have if it's in the correctly. open. Mm-hmm. If it's in the open, it's in the open. Like so. written on a whiteboard, say? If it could be, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah so. Especially when you go into a, a customer. Say there's a customer that's looking for a penetration test and you walk through and you go into a meeting room where you pass by people's cubes. I always try and keep my eyes on the whiteboards because there's often like IP addresses and usernames and passwords that you can glean off of the whiteboards as you walk through. Nice. That's a little tip if when you go yep. if you're a penetration test and you go meet with the customer, that's a little tip for you. And, and my absolute favorite, you know, given that they're gonna write these down, is um, when I dumpster dive, I look for yellow gold. Yellow Post-it snow. notes, golden showers. No, oh, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah. No, Post-it notes, because you know what's the what's the thing that's readily available in an office environment? They're small. They're great for writing a password on, and you can stick them somewhere. And you can crumple them quick, so you think they're gone. Bingo. And you can see them really easy because they're yellow. So I guess our our advice is to use black post-it notes so they blend <laughs> in. <there. laughs> right, right. But you know, my suggestion was: how about giving your users some education on you know how to pick better passwords that they don't have to write down because they can remember them very easily. Yeah, and there was some discussion uh, in the the IRC channel today. Um, very briefly, I had to leave, but uh, you know, someone was saying that they don't think that one in three users writing down the password is that much of an exposure. When if you just ask someone for their password, fifty percent of them will give it to you, and more if you offer them candy. Actually, there was a blog posting by Bruce Schneier who um, Schneier is on fire. Yeah, drink. he said. He said to write down your passwords and then keep the piece of paper with your other valuables, like in your wallet, because that's actually pretty. You know, it's easy to secure a small pieces of paper than it is to secure. I I teach a class in a certain uh, organization that I do work for, and I have a whole module on passwords, and we're covering Mm. the majority of the material in that module, which I have to teach the course next week. So this is actually good prep for me. 
And I tell people the exact same thing that Bruce and I are saying. I say, if you're going to write down your password, especially if it's new, put it in your wallet. Because while I may walk through an organization and glean passwords off whiteboards and Larry may go through and dumpster dive and get them out of the dumpster, I'm not, probably not likely to walk through an organization that I'm doing work for and pick your pocket mm. and go through your wallet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my friend Brandon <laughs> just said people are securing the passwords physically by writing down a really good password on a piece of paper, putting it in their wallet. Right. And then, and then, and then go my strategy. And then well. go home and put it through your paper shredder at home. Yeah. Get rid yeah, well, don't, don't of yeah. you. Yeah. When it's done with, don't take it out and throw it in the garbage so Larry can find it in the dumpster. Run it through the paper it, shredder. And then if you're truly paranoid, when you throw away your paper shredder, this was from George Starcher, you take a cup of milk and you throw it in with the shredded pieces of paper. So if someone oh. opens it up, oh, it smells stinkies. really bad and they won't go through it. But now, some cat turds. If you make this company policy, though, aren't you just introducing the, the wallet to become the jackpot or open purses? You know, then does that mean all I have to do is pretend I'm a uh, uh, delivery man coming into the office and now I just look for if if people accept this as good the delivery man. You, is that what you're saying? Is well, that how you or, get dates? <laughs> Hi, I'm a delivery man. Would you like to go out with me? No. Okay. Hi, I'm here to fix your cable. Ina <laughs> Kable. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Anyway, so let's let's move on. Yep. We have another. We can talk more about passwords in a story later on. At your module. Jesus. This is an old one. I'm just going to preface. This is from 2003. However. I found this to be a fantastic read. If you have not read this, you need to go read it. It is the Debian Project's write-up of a server compromise where they actually found the exploit that was um, attacking a vulnerability in the kernel for do break, do underscore BRK. Uh, and there's a quote in here. You know, Even though this kernel code, uh, and this is a quote directly from there, so there was a bug in the kernel. I thought it was interesting how that bug was introduced and the response. So... Even though the kernel code was improved in September by Andrew Morton and copied into a recent pre-release kernel since October, the security implication of the improvement wasn't considered. So what that's saying is someone made an improvement. What they thought was an improvement, right? Programmers call them features. QA calls them bugs. We call them vulnerabilities. Programmer uploaded a new feature into the kernel, and no one, no one saw it as a security thing. So no security advisories were issued. However, it was discovered as being a local root exploit that was used to compromise some Debian servers. And if – go back and read this article and look at the lessons learned and look at all the, the mistakes. Now, these are smart people that run the Debian project. Look at all the mistakes that they made and learn from them. Don't make these same mistakes in your organization. One of the biggest mistakes that the Debian project made was they had the same username and password across multiple systems. This allowed the attacker to compromise far more systems um, than he was initially getting access to. So he basically hacked into one system and then sniffed and used different connections to break into other systems. Okay, so when he'd sniff a password, he'd go, oh, a new username and password. And he'd go, let me try that username and password on this other said system. Mm -hmm. And oh, look, now I have access to this system. Now I can sniff this system and get yet even more usernames and passwords. Oh, and while I'm at it, why don't I try this username and password on all the systems I can contact? Now, one of the things that I thought, if you're going to be an attacker and do this, a useful thing is to have a map of all of their systems. And what a better way to passively get this information than to go to the Debian server's website and look at a listing of all their servers that host all of the Debian mm -hmm. software, which is available online, and there's a link in the show notes, mm -hmm. too. So 
keep that information. And I understand Debian is an open source project and there's a lot of people they need to communicate with and that's fine. But in your organization, keep that list of servers that you maintain, like your systems administrators may maintain a database or some kind of tracking system that tracks the server name, the IP address, and its function. Guard that information. That is sensitive information. That information in the attacker's hands is like giving them a map to the network. Now I don't need to end map. I don't need to be loud. I can passively get that information just by visiting a website or gleaning it from somewhere else on your network. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. So go read from that and learn from it because I thought it was a fabulous read. Nice. So uh, Oracle released 101 patches this quarter. WTF? Uh, OMG? Yeah, and Max Lull. This to me is irresponsible. And Apple, Apple's, Apple does this, and Microsoft does this, and Oracle does it. And I think be, you know the sheer size of their companies may. Um, contribute to why they do this they release all these patches all at once Mm -hmm. it's like if you have 101 patches there's no way that you found all of those vulnerabilities last week you've known about these vulnerabilities for a long time i have 101 dalmatians yeah to be able to release them and maybe they're the number of dalmatians you have too or you know you've known about these for a long time why do you have to release 101 at once why can't you release 25 when you know about them, because yeah. uh, I know you've had you've known about twenty five for at least a few months, right? And release those patches, and, and even even you know, aside from this whole patch cycle issue, even if they were to break this down into monthly patches, that's twenty five patches a month. And I thought Microsoft was bad, right? Right. Microsoft, well, see, what Microsoft does though is that one like MS 6 0 something is like six it's not one patch. One. Yeah, it's really like six or seven or more patches rolled up into one. Right. And they do that frequently with Internet Explorer because it's just so plagued with bugs. Right. Which we'll talk about later as well. Right. The other question is how bad is Oracle written that if it needs yeah, 100, 100 plus patches, patches a quarter? Right. I feel sorry for those Oracle DBAs right about now because they've it, got to test. They've got to test and certify all of those patches before they yep. put them in a production environment. Because if their DBAs worth their salt, all the money's going towards uh, Larry Ellison's uh, Japanese house. No, and it is yacht. Doesn't he yeah, have like the world's most expensive yacht? I, yeah, 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 I think so. Saying yeah. that. Mm. So I wrote the, the it. Yacht, if you're an Oracle, the DBA, Oracle DBA, we feel your pain, man. Hmm. Sucks to be you. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. I know. I you know you hate to be the admin that's responsible for applying a hundred and one patches. Smoke all if, those I easy mean, days if you're, you had this year. Yeah, <laughs> if you're a security administrator, like you know, you, you need to be easy on your. Please don't like take this advice or go to your Oracle admin. Go. Why haven't you applied these patches yet? Be more supportive than that. Be like. Dude, is there anything I can do to help? You know, help apply these patches. You know, is like, anything I need to do. Is there anything do? else I can do to help? Like yeah. take your Oracle server off the network. You can adjust his volume. <laughs> you guys and your inside jokes. <laughs> you can email Joe at paul.com.com to find out. Let us know how you about feel about the inside jokes. The inside jokes. We'll and, stop them and to find out yeah, about adjusting the volume. That's right. Uh, anyway, f- Paul, follow up from last week's Google code search. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> someone have- so someone created a website that had a listing of some interesting Google code searches. Yeah, and Larry I, I and I posted I, our favorites. Yeah. And I mentioned this briefly last week. Yeah, we did talk about Google code search last week. Yeah, and I, I happened to find I, this I, one this and week. And I mentioned this site, but I hadn't been able to right. track it down again. So there's a link to my favorite Google code search, which is um is um a query for a buffer should be big enough. 
and that's a way to find buffer overflow vulnerabilities is to search the comments field for buffer should be big enough. Yep. So Larry, tell and us about my your favorite, favorite one. is I am so drunk. <laughs> Now, both of those could probably lead to finding some insecure code in their own way. Um, The drunk one may find some more interesting code, uh, but I thought that was interesting. And uh, Google Code Search, I think, is going to continue to be interesting. I like this next story. Mm -hmm. You do. Larry's got the next story. Hacking Tor. I saw this and I didn't have a chance to read it, so I'm I'm actually very anxious to hear you talk about it. Yeah, so it's sort of a tie-in to the the stuff we talked about last week about the anonymous Tor presentations. At least in my mind it was. Um, Because there were some methods uh, in a paper that uh, were were written about tracing back um, the host IP of a machine that was using the Tor network. Um, the, the guys weren't able to break Tor itself, so they used some of the client applications, uh, and the one that comes to mind is Shockwave. They were able to do a specially crafted Shockwave movie that made the home PC phone back to them with their true IP address through the Tor network. Uh, there's a little Firefox extension called, the, what was it called, that bl- stops? Oh, no, no, no script? Yeah. No, yeah, something like that. So No script blocks JavaScript. I'm not sure if it helps you with there's a flash. There's a flash blocker. There's a flash blocker as yep. well. Okay. And, uh, and you click it to activate the flash because if you're using Tor, it's slow and you really don't want to sit around for flash, flash to load. So you're probably not using Tor with flash. Uh, yeah, and also they didn't break Tor because Tor is rock solid yep. in its design. Um, but they broke everything else that's tunneled through Tor. Well, breaking Flash is like I, hey Paul, I just made your your dog t- tip over a plant. <laughs> it's like, come on, it's <laughs> not like, that difficult. It's not that difficult. They wrote a paper and, on and how it, to walk with, and, on both legs. And Twitchy did great. Make my dog tip over a plant, and it wasn't that difficult. Yeah, it wasn't actually, that. Difficult. Actually, they wrote a paper on teaching someone how to breathe. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah, I don't understand. So, I mean, congratulations. For writing a paper on nothing. And if you're going to use Flash and Tor, you deserve to get caught. How do you really feel, though? I mean, don't hold back. I'm not. <laughs> I, it's, it's stupid. It's a stupid paper. It's a valid way of getting the true IP, though. Yeah. It works. Yep. But maybe, uh, so maybe some pretty stupid methods, but I, I think I wanted to illustrate that, hey, great, we can do these anonymous things. I can root your it, Linux box by using the grub uh, no user option and going right, right to root without a password. Sure. But, I mean... Get a physical act. Nobody's writing a paper on it because it's just so stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's all I got to say. That's why we love you, Twitchy. You don't hold yeah, back. Buddy. No, he doesn't. I like the next one. Yes, I thought Joe, you said, you, said is, you liked the Tor one. The Tor one's great, but this we next like, one, see, we just the stories, a lot of liking. We're very fond of the stories. I week. love the stories, Joe. This is an Joe. excellent one, and I know Twitchy has opined over this one many times in the past. The Nvidia binary graphics driver has a flaw. Uh, it causes there's a vulnerability. Um, I'm not sure if it says. I don't have any article. It's a buffer right overflow. Here. It, it causes a buffer overflow. Remote X client from a remote X client, and I think it said you Ouch. can or an X client a that, yeah. malicious web page. You can get yes. it at local or remote. Yep. Or yeah, malicious by web visiting blue. a malicious web page. And a proof of concept root exploit is attached to the advisory. That's awesome. Wow. Ouch. Wow. So, that makes people mm. fix it fast, except for... Uh, did NVIDIA fix it? Did they release a fix? I was looking for some more information on this. Y- I they, yes, it. they fixed it months ago, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, if you notice, the driver version that they mentioned is vulnerable is not the most current. Okay. Oh. However, most 
Linux distributions do not have the latest right. because these are bleeding edge drivers. Mm-hmm. Second, um, if you're running GRSec or PAX, you will be protected probably because this sounds like a code generation and you'll be... Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, P- PAX or GRSec will say, oh, what the hell's going on here and not let anything happen. Okay. Um, so that's... And it works. I did test it. Nice. Because nice. I remember hearing about it from HD more, in fact. Yeah, and, oh, and my comment, and I'm sure Twitchy and others will agree with me, is that binary blobs are evil. Oh, God, this should be a perfect example of why binary yeah. blobs are evil. Mm. And sometimes they're a necessary evil unless you want to take and run OpenBSD, mm-hmm. which I, OpenBSD doesn't use any binary yes, blobs. Yes, you can because NVIDIA drivers are for BSD. But I was told that they're... So the, does OpenBSD strongly use, discouraged. Okay, in OpenBSD. Yes. In FreeBSD too. No, FreeBSD uses binary blobs for even the wireless drivers. I don't but know. But OpenBSD yeah. has like one of the only oh, true okay. open source non-binary yeah. blob wireless drivers. Okay, yeah. I'm not a BSD guy. I'm not going to claim to know what their policy is. Gotcha. But yeah, it it sucks. NVIDIA drivers work great, by the way. They do, but they rely on the binary blob. Mm. Correct. I have blob, but it's analog. Bombing. Twitch, you know who uses BSD that I'd like to give a shout out to? Oh, uh, you're correct. I forgot to do a shout out. My best friend, besides Joe, of course. Rosie and Paul, Palmer, five sisters. And Larry. And Larry. And Paul. And Rocco. And Rocco. Is Dana Traversi. Yes. The man. Mega Man of Rhode Island. The Prince of the Northeast. The Pillar of Integrity in the state of Rhode Island. He's also running for governor. Vote for him. Dana, shout out to you, my friend. The shout only BSD out. user that I know. Shout out. A religious. And he also has... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's Spiky man. blonde hair. Yeah. I love the guy. Volume? <sighs> we'll make out Anyway, DIY right, disclosure, disclosure, Larry? Yeah, there, there was some links to uh, from Security Monkey, etc. on uh, doing rolling your own disclosure to uh, companies, etc. And it's a template. And I read this as a frigging Mad Lib. Um, it's unbelievable. <laughs> as the result true. of the as a result of the attack, Circle One Underground Shadowy Foreign Hacking Syndicates. Some private information about you may have been compromised, misplaced, sold to identity thieves on the black market, auctioned off on eBay. That personally identifying information that we lost may include your. Name, address, phone number, credit card number, social security number, tax return information, criminal record, PIN numbers, iPod playlists, peculiar affinity for Thomas Kincaid uh, paintings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the circle all that apply. That's uh, interesting. I mean, I looked at this and I'm like, oh my God, this hurts my brain. It please, does. Please accept our optional, sincere concern for your situation. Um, also, we wouldn't have to deal with this much Circle One pain, material loss, correspondence if California hadn't passed a law that Circle Your Favorite with dictatorial rigor, quite unconstitutionally, evilly. Larry, you're making my brain hurt. I, that's what I said. I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's bad. What was the point of that story, anyway? Um, what? This is freaking ridiculous. Max Lulz. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Good idea in concept, bad idea in execution. Yeah. So, Twitchy just left, so let's skip the next story and go to complete security podcast list. Mm. Hey. Mm. There's been a lot of podcast lists lately mm. for this security. This one was particularly nice. I wonder why. Because we, we were at the top. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome to all of our new listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we had to do say, 
Go listen to all the other podcasts on the list. Um, there was some really good stuff. Did we talk about this last this. week, Chris? We did, no, we didn't. This is new oh. since then. It's computer security podcast that don't suck. And yes, this is the one we listed <laughs> at the top. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and uh, amazingly enough, none of the Dig users that I read because uh, this was posted on Dig um, flamed us. Uh, no one flamed us, but one of them panned us. Panned? They didn't like us. Oh. Who was that? Criticism makes know. the world go but, round. But they, who but, is that? So we can announce his IP address so all of our listeners <laughs> <laughs> can then go try the tactics out but, on the show. But they said, yeah, we. I know it's for free, but you guys could at least read the friggin' stories before you start talking about them. He's got a point. I can punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, boy. But, uh, yeah, do go check out all the other podcasts. Um, we listen to all of them. And I think there's only one that was on there that got missed, and that's the Security Roundtable. Yes. So SecureWorks uncovers Bluetooth vulnerabilities. Now that Nick has returned from uh, Nick, emptying his bladder. Such fun. So it looks like the Toshiba chipset yeah. is vulnerable. Um, which some interesting points in this vulnerability. Number one, execution of arbitrary code at the highest privilege level. One can only say that this means you're executing code in ring zero. Yep, that wasn't that last right. part wasn't in, but uh, that's sort of along the lines that's of what I'm between thinking. the lines. Right. Yeah. An attacker would need to be within approximately 10 meters of the victim. Mm. I think that's bull. Class 3 Bluetooth devices go farther than 10 meters. I believe that's 100 meters for a Class mm-hmm. 3 Bluetooth device. And, and God forbid you should put your 9 dB Yagi and an amp on it. Exactly, exactly. And that, I mean, since it's in the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum, you can use very similar techniques as you would use for 802. To 11 yep. to amplify your Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bluetooth addresses are easily enumerated through active scanning if the device allows discovery. Will this be true forever? Now, Red Fang was a tool that does this by brute forcing. Uh, certainly, the BT scanner application has the capability to brute, f- brute force Bluetooth. Brute force? Yeah, brute force? No, brute force the Bluetooth address space. Now, that takes time, obviously. So, essentially, what you're doing is if a device isn't announcing itself, you can't see it. And without right. the ability to sniff on a Bluetooth network, it makes it really hard to discover devices. However, you can go out and see if every different iteration of a MAC address is out there. You know, brute forcing a 48-bit space does take some time. But there are some tools out there. Um, BT Search is another one mm. that will do it as well. So, cool. But, you know, there is research in the field going on uh, with Bluetooth that I think, as we said, stated before, uh, is going to be the next breakthrough, I think, in Bluetooth insecurity. And this vulnerability was discovered and researched by David Maynard of SecureWorks and John Elk. That was confirmed on there? It I'm reading exactly what it said on the advisory. Cool, cool. And uh, you guys rock. Mm. I wonder why John Elk doesn't have a job with SecureWorks yet. Uh, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's uh, up for Come discussion on, on the podcast. Yeah, but, but I, I, have, I have no idea. Let's, and you know. let's quickly yeah. move away from that yeah. subject. <laughs> oh, God. I honestly have no idea because you know, I don't talk to either one of them. So. All right. I'm pretty sure that SecureWorks and Apple and all of them made uh, certain people angry. So I bet. Right. I would imagine it's, it's like, you know. It's kind of passe. Yeah. Touche. So, IE7, not even 24 hours <laughs> before the first unpatched flaw. Yep. 
So there's a flaw already. HD must be hard at work uh, looking at all this new code <laughs> in i7. Going, you know, he HD more did the um, led the charge for the month of browser bugs. Yeah, he'll probably do so it again with i7. I, I only. hope <laughs> that we see another month of browser mm-hmm. bugs for i7. I think personally that that benefits the security community. Not everyone looks at it that way. Now, this vulnerability released for i7 is not. You know, it's not a buffer overflow. It's not going to give you root access. It's an information disclosure. And admittedly, to go along with this, the, the dig user's comments, I have not fully tested, understood, and gone through all of the code for this particular vulnerability. However, we do link to a site where you can actually test it. I don't have IE7 installed, so I was not able to, to test this out. Yeah, did they release um, IE7 for the Mac? It says that this can be exploited to access documents served from another website, and I'm not quite sure what they mean. Uh, mm. If someone knows and has tested this, please write into the show. Excellent. And we will talk about it next and, week. and sort of along that line, there were some anti-malware tools that prevented IE7 from installing because IE7 needs to read and write from particular parts of the registry that the anti-malware tools were protecting, as it were, and halted the installation of IE7. I think they got it right. And uh, Microsoft is saying to disable those tools so that you can install IE7. I say leave it on and go install Firefox or Opera. Opera had a... uh, We'll talk about that. Opera did... I don't know if we'll talk about if it's in the other stories of interest. It is... uh, It's not anywhere, I don't think. um, You didn't... Oh, I didn't refresh my page. I did. No browser is safe. Uh, Opera Heap Overflow was released this week as well. That was on the IS uh, Internet Storm Center webpage. Mm -hmm. So no browser is truly safe. Larry, tell us about the gotchas of Rogue AP Containment. You may know something about this. Well, maybe not so much Rogue AP Containment, but uh, I I did stumble across this. Yeah, Discovery. Um, So sort of along the line with uh, the discovery of Rogue APs, um, some of these uh, distributed wireless systems, uh, Aruba, Airspace, um, uh, Cisco. Cisco. Which was Airspace. Yep. There's another one. Um, Maru. Maru. There's another one, too. But anyway... um, yeah, they all have the ability to do rogue containment. So basically, uh, you tell them, tell these systems what access points are in your environment and are valid. Trapeze. Trapeze, that's the one. <laughs> um, you tell them what access points are in your environment, which ones are valid. Anything else it picks up, it's going to try to perform some attacks against to either drown them out or get the radio to shut down. Pretty cool. But what happens if you're in a shared office building? And the folks downstairs have an access point that now your system is determining as a rogue. And you start launching attacks against their access point, shut them down, and um, they lose significant financial sums of money but that, because their network is down. But that depends on how you classify a rogue. Exactly. Is a rogue just another SSID that pops up within range of your AP? Or is a rogue an SSID that pops up within range of your IP that it can find its wired MAC address somewhere in your network. Exactly. So it all depends on what you're considering to be a Ex- rogue. Exactly. There, there are multiple design considerations to go along with that. And that's exactly one of the gotchas. You need to accurately define what your rogues are. Do they, are they connected back to your, your network right. by back-end IP addresses, etc.? But don't limit yourself either because say you have an SSID that is called, um, you know, get owned here. <laughs> Right. And you know that your SSD should only be called get owned here. And if you see another access point with a, uh, on your network that's not registered with your controller, 
this says get owned here, then you know someone may be trying to own you. Mm-hmm. So you can control your SSID namespace because if you have a system like one of the ones that we talked about, all your APs are talking back to a central controller. You know what your SSID should be. So if one of those APs sees another AP broadcasting that SSID, it'll know about it because, hey, it's not registered with my controller. Right. So you'll be able to say, that's definitely a rogue and that's my namespace. And I don't care if another business is using it because guess what? That's my namespace. And to me, I, you know, if someone else is broadcasting an SSID within my namespace, I'm taking them down. I don't care. <laughs> so, so <laughs> because yeah. legitimate users of my organization may connect to that and give Get sensitive owned. information. Right. And another, another design consideration to think about that, even you know, the part that we brought up about determining whether it's on your network, in, in a very concentrated area, say New York City, um, in, in the technology sections of New York City, there could be several organizations within a very small area that may happen to be all using the same internal IP scheme. So are they connected to your network or not? Yeah, that's interesting. Blow them out of the water. <laughs> More expensive hardware, stronger hardware on the but block. Then, but then what happens when they sue you for taking down their network? Prove it. <laughs> Well, and they're still going to interfere, <laughs> yeah. too, because, I mean, if you're in a dense area like New York, there's channel space to configure, uh, to consider, too. Absolutely. So, you know, you're going to run into issues. Yep. So, so it, it can be it can be scary. Be careful of the potential legal issues. Um, know what you're doing when you deploy this type of stuff. Again, we say it time and time again. Mm-hmm. Anti-malware and IE7 do not no, mix. No, we already covered that. We covered that. I was going to, oh, was I gone? Oh, sweet. That's funny, by the way. I'm excited about this next story. I've been doing a lot of... Which one? uh, Automating post-exploitation tasks with Meterpreter scripts. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, more more features. I've been reading more about Metasploit 3.0, which is currently in beta. And the Meterpreter has gotten a facelift. It's gotten an upgrade. There's increased functionality. And for those who don't know, the Meterpreter... So once you exploit a system, you want to... Uh, similar to the way Canvas and Core do it, you want to deploy an agent to that system, mm-hmm. right? This is the benefit of using one of the frameworks that are available, is that traditionally, if I have an exploit and I execute a system, I'm going to be able to execute code. Well, what code am I going to execute? Traditionally, when you have a standalone exploit, it executes shell code that maybe pops up a backdoor listener. Which then you can upload your which, new code which then i can connect to but the problem is there's lots of firewalls that get in the way when i also when i execute a backdoor listener that's going to spawn a different process and listen on a different port that's very easily detectable mm-hmm. by the end system so what i want to do is i want to upload some intelligent code such as the interpreter and what the interpreter does is number one it runs in the memory space of the exploited process so say on a window and this only runs on windows Say I exploit uh, services.exe. When I exploit that inside of services.exe, mm-hmm. I'm now running the interpreter. I can communicate with the interpreter um, via that exploited channel, and I can tell the the interpreter DLL, hey, jump in, in 3.0 beta, not in the previous versions, to jump to another running process. That's kind of cool. Yep. Now, if you look at a process list on the host, there's no other process. You don't see it running because it's running within the memory space of existing processes. Yep. That's some of the power of the interpreter. What that, this that, blog posting and, and that those are some very interesting challenges to be able to to do those types of things. Right. Um, the I, core the core yeah. agent does this does this really well mm-hmm. um, as well, and has had this functionality for quite a long time. The MOSDEF 
uh, agent within Canvas is the piece that does that um, for Canvas. Now, in um, Metasploit 3.0, you actually get to script functionality to the interpreter. So the example they give here is say you want the interpreter to search the entire hard drive for .doc files and find Microsoft Word documents and then send them to you. You can write a script in Meterpreter to do that. So that's what they mean by post-exploitation tasks Mm -hmm. being able to be scripted. So Meterpreter is a very, very powerful tool. Again, only runs on Windows. Some of the other functionality that they've improved upon in the Meterpreter that I'm excited about is the ability to pivot. And that's functionality that... um, Core has had for a long time, and one of the features we've talked about in Core is oh, being yeah. very powerful. Is once you exploit a host and you deploy an agent, uh, you can tell the Core framework, for example, to use that agent as a proxy and compromise other systems through that other agent. So, say you're in a DMZ situation, right? And you've compromised, and there's a web server, mail server, DNS server. You compromise the web server, but you don't have access to compromise maybe the other two servers. Well, if you pivot through the web server, now you can access the the mail server and the DNS server the as if you're segment. on the same subnet. Yep. Metasploit now has that functionality. It had it in the interpreter in previous versions, but it wasn't very stable. Gotcha. In 3.0, it's much more stable, and the ability to pivot uh, exists and is actually usable in this version of uh, – in the new beta version of Metasploit. So – if yep, you haven't cool. downloaded, if you're a Metasploit user or you're a penetration tester and you haven't checked out uh, the version 3.0 beta of Metasploit, go do so. Yep. It comes with, uh, later. the beta version introduced a new web interface as well, which I've been playing with, which runs oh, nice. on Ruby on Rails. And it's, it's interesting. It's very different from the current version 2.6 stable of the framework. Nice. So go check that out. Also, we'll, we'll jump ahead real quick. With now we're talking about Metasploit. Uh, mm-hmm. Metasploit 3.0 beta also has um, some new features called VOM, Evade-O-Matic module. Oh, nice. We're going to jump right to this. This is my other favorite yeah. story this week. <laughs> so they're using a, a variety of uh, techniques to take some of the exploit code, mix it up a little bit, and sort of do some uh, code obfuscation so that it's passing by those antivirus filters and uh, sorry, Paul's beer is empty. <laughs> beer is empty. Okay. Yeah. So, so Paul, tell tell us some more about Vom. Vom. So this is some really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, with respect to the VML exploit, uh, I've read reports that they tested it against twenty-seven different antivirus engines, and it was able to successfully evade and hide the VML exploit in Internet Explorer from all these antivirus suites. A couple of the ways it does it, and I didn't have time to read the full article, and if you go to the direct article, um, blog.info-pull.com, and then we have a full link to mm-hmm. uh, the full detailed technical write-up of how it actually obfuscates the exploit from these different detection engines. Two of the things that I was able to to glean from this in, in a quick read is, number one is white space randomization. So as many people who know who are programmers, right, you can put as much white space in your program as you want. Yep. You could put as many carriage returns after your first comment in your code as you want. It's still going to compile the same way because the compiler ignores that, right? Mm-hmm. But certain white space changes your binary output. Yeah, so when you compile it, your binary is going to look different depending on the different kinds of white space. Uh-huh. No ops what? is a good example. No ops is but a good when example. You, white space is thrown out when you compile. So no matter how much white space you put in, right. when you compile, it's going to, always going to be the same unless you change code. Okay, now you're going to make me go read the link. 
Unless here we go, we haven't read the freaking story. Although there are way different languages do that different ways. Right, so right, unless right, I'm yeah. mistaken, last time I checked, they throw the white space out. So in the end, so it doesn't matter. White space randomization basically introduces non-intrusive, as in functionality or impact on exploit reliability, changes to the JavaScript code. Oh. Tab- JavaScript yeah. is garbage, and right. therefore yeah. that's what you're talking so about. So they list tabs, white spaces, new lines, and carriage returns are added randomly, significantly affecting the structure of the binary stream. So because oh. it's JavaScript for JavaScript, for JavaScript right. which isn't right. a real programming language, right. but so many that's people like saying users. that's like saying white space makes right. HTML obfuscated, and and that's an excellent <laughs> point. And like, as Switch is alluding to, so in a language like C, the compiler ignores that. Yes. So what you're saying is my binary result in C with a program with 16 characters of white space versus one that has none should be the same. Should be. Unless I'm totally wrong, which you should tell us if we are. Last time I checked and in compiler design class... Gone. What so what uh, they're saying with JavaScript is that tabs, white spaces, new lines, and carriage returns produce a totally different signature. Mm, yes, which is tripping mm. up the uh, various antivirus, or not tripping up for that matter. Right. Uh, people should stop using. JavaScript. So you can't just rely on white space obfuscation yes. because there could be certain strings yep. within the binary, such as function calls. So here they're talking about a function call like RDS data control. Um, and web view folder icon dot web view folder icon dot one as being actual function calls. So you can search the binary for these function calls. So what they're doing is they're using a method to encode or encrypt. It's really a form of encryption. Um, encrypt these function calls so that they look different in the in the uh, when it's actually compiled, so that the um, the antivirus engine isn't able to detect them. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And they go on to list actually seven. Um, so this is the most relevant techniques being deployed. Uh, white space randomization, string obfuscation, and encoding, which is what we just talked about. So hydro function calls, um, random comments, block randomization, variables and function names randomization, integer, and miscellaneous variables obfuscation, and function pointer reassignment. All of these are sort of what we would label as almost polymorphism. So mm-hmm. you're taking uh, one piece of code and compiling it multiple different ways Getting the same result. The same result is it executes the VML exploit. However, signature-wise, it's going to look different Completely because you're different. doing it. You know, anyone who's a programmer knows there's more than one way to write a program to accomplish a, a given task. Yeah. There is, in fact, more than one way to skin a cat. Yes, there is. And, and that's essentially what they're doing to get right. around and evade detection of signature-based antivirus detection engines. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very fascinating. It's a really great article. And they actually go on to explain all seven of these various um, evasion and uh, techniques that they're using. So go check it out. And um, it's uh, quite scary if you're running antivirus and think that you're protected from some of the exploits out there. Now, the way to get around this and protect yourself is to actually apply the patch or use a different web browser in this case because they're targeting the right, web browser. for VML. Exactly. Right. Yep. But Metasploit has some cool new things. 3.0. Yeah, 3.0 so, is going to be going to rock. Nice. Password profiling tool, Paul? Yeah, this was posted to the pen test list uh, yep. by a How did gentleman. I miss this one? Uh, oh, a, no, this was, this was a little bit older. It wasn't today. Wait a minute. If you're following proper password generation protocol, none of this should work. Yeah, this is true. This is true. This is this was posted this is, Wednesday, October 11th, 2006. This is another one of those papers somebody wrote to make themselves sound important, like right. writing a paper on how to breathe. Now, is Max Moser <laughs> is Max Moser the same gentleman who ran whitehats.com? 
com. You know what? I take that back because this is useful for targeting stupid people. And, <laughs> and there, this would work perfectly. And there are a lot of stupid people. So the general idea is... Um, so what they do is to personalize or profile the available data about a target person or system is a general word list of passable passwords or passphrases out of available information. So what you would do such is as you would my, Such as MySpace or... Right. Yeah. For MySpace user. user. You, if you're targeting an individual, if you're targeting a company, say... Um, a standard thing to do in an investigation is to spider the website, is to go download all of the available information from their website to look for maybe some hidden uh, directories in there, mm. download that information. Get all that information in a directory. Would I run this tool against yeah. it, and what it does is it, it extrapolates possible passwords, which in a penetration test, you would then take a pen to your password list that you'd run your brute forcers against yep. to try and log into your system. What so I this do. is a very useful tool. I haven't tested it yet. What I do during pen tests is I try to go to serendipitous chat and get people to say stupid words on the camera. It's hilarious. <laughs> Joe? Hello. My, my name is, is <laughs> Werner Brandeis. Please verify me. My password is Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> Big boy. Uh, oh, Ma- uh, Max Moser. Max Moser is of uh, auditor fame. Oh, okay. Auditor fame. Listen, Max, your paper and tool is great. But the really interesting servers that has all the dirty, nitty gritty stuff probably has good passwords. I mean, You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I am such an optimist. <laughs> you know yes, what? You're you right. This, this will probably work actually, dead on actually, every time. Actually, you know what? Paul and I are optimists, and we think that all those good, nitty gritty servers have really bad passwords. <laughs> yeah, you're right. What would, you, what would you call me then? If I say, oh, come on, they must have. You can't say what we call you on the show. I was an optimist, thinking good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome guide to identity theft protection, Larry? Yep. Yeah, re- real quick, because I know we're getting sort of short on time. Uh, go print this out. Give it to everyone you know. Um, send it to them. Uh, if they don't have a computer, print it out as have well. Have you seen the commercials from Scruff McGruff on identity theft? I saw that. Yeah. He's doing yeah. identity theft yeah, commercials and he's, like, he's like, don't throw anything out because I'll bite you and give you rabies. Exa- yeah, exa- exactly. And, you know, the- That's exactly what he said. And Larry was in the commercial. And Larry hey, was know. just like, I'm going to eat this dog. Check it out. And then I'm going to put an RFID in him. <laughs> but you know uh, yeah the, the identity theft stuff the two big the ones they talk about obviously your computer is a big one um, but over 400,000 Americans every year get uh, their identity stolen because someone steals stuff out of their mailbox do, do they watch the movie Face Off where the face is removed face and stolen? off oh <laughs> face I okay. read a, a blog posting from the Schmoo Group uh, and it was the rantings of Bruce Potter <laughs> and one of the things that he mentioned because he posted to a relatively public mailing list and I've posted to the very same mailing list that I believe Bruce posted to or similar. And what Bruce that, says... That makes you like this, right? No. And what Bruce says Does it make is... You like this? What I can't accept are the freaking clowns who use that please click on this link so I know you're a human anti-spam autoresponder. Like hell, I'm going to do that. You go, Bruce. Let me tell you, I agree. <laughs> so I post a message to a list, and I get an autoresponder back that says, hey, I got your message, but to prove that you're a human, you need to click this link. You're like, I'm going to click a link in an email that I got back from someone I don't know no. after publishing to a, you know, posting to a public mailing list. That's crap. That you, know, you, know what, crap. you know what else is crap? Someone who buys a list of double, quote, double opt-in um, security professionals and then starts spamming those people without giving them a way to unsubscribe from the mailing list. I have no idea what you're talking about. What? Go see Full Disclosure and go look for uh, Joe Job. Full Disclosure is like 
if you let me post to a mailing list about garbage all day and then you let like somebody who knows what they're talking about post to a list yeah well once a day so to go along with what bruce is saying he also says and i quote the internet is a crappy place already it is overzealous spam hunting makes it worse you know what i'm it's made me a bitter man yeah as you all know he's so right he's so right and yeah uh blacklist like we were talking about last time yeah Yeah. overzealous spam hunting has made it worse correct um, let's see. So there's a, a virus that warns you that porn may cause marital problems. It's the first uh, I've heard of it. Uh, unless your significant other is into that kind of thing. That's, That's right. right. You know then what? it's good for your marriage. This was posted to the F-Secure blog again. And uh, I sent an email to the F-Secure folks. And I, I really hope they listen to the show. And if they don't, I'm hoping that this gets them to listen to the show because they're a great resource for us. So in the pop-up message that this... Basically, malware program uh, pops up to you and says, if your computer has tracks of all adult sites you've visited, it can violate your online privacy and could compromise your career and or marriage. Wow. That's what it does. And then it makes you wow. pay money to use its program. Wow. Joe, what do you think about this? No. I'm not embarrassed of the pornography I look at. It's Joe just... looks at pornography in class. Mm. Buttmachines.com? Why? No, no. <laughs> oh, I boy. was trying to talk about pornography in a tasteful manner and it just goes... I, I, Paul, downhill. I think pornography can be very tasteful. Hacking, uh, hijacking <laughs> IM accounts. So basically what happens is when malware gets in on a system and it finds that you have a, a Yahoo instant messaging account, for example. Yahoo! Yeah, it then... IMs everyone in your buddy list with links that compromise them. So they're not now they're harvesting your credentials to your IM account and then using that to send out messages to Aim insulter. You're ugly. (laughs) Cactus? Well it's like if you would get an IM message from me that says you're ugly, how would you know it was me? It could just. I just call you and be like, "Dude, what the the hell?" So don't. I mean, don't click. Just randomly, blindly click on links. That you get in an IM window. Oh, I'm just... Okay, I'm going to let this little trick out of the How do I know that that you're not compromised, dude? How do I know that... You're asking me that? Nick is not hacked and maybe someone's sending IM messages to me to hack me. What if someone's targeting us? Because you'll see the AIDS buddy icon flash. Silence. What? Listen. Does that mean we have to... I think that means we have to drink. Yeah. (laughs) I think I need to. I wanted to help you out, but I had nothing. Okay, listen... You, I am somebody with a with a obfuscated uh, URL. That's the word of tonight, I think. Obfuscate. And Larry has just sent me an instant message that says you're ugly. And I know it was him. Because I can look at his screen right now and see that he typed it. Uh, basically, basically, you send somebody an IM and you put the description of the link you're going to send them as uh, the real link you want them to click on. Nick tried to do this yeah. to me. But the yeah. real link says... The real link is going to like a shock image. The fake link says... Dude, you know, dude, somebody wrote a Wikipedia page about you. Then you paste a Wikipedia link to their name. And people will not check the link. They'll just be like, I got to click that. I have to. Well, like, why would he, A, why would you he joke about this? And B, he'll, I'll click it. Click ugly it. So it's very important to trick as many people as you can to teach them not to click on That's links. right. And the first person I tried this out on, I was sitting in my office thinking, like, how can I get this particular man to click a link? I sent you the log. Yes. And you sent him a log. I sent him the log of the convo (laughs) and it basically said, dude, somebody made a Wikipedia page about you. Click this link. And he clicked it. And all I got was back was you. I'm in class. I'm in class. WTF. 
blah 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 <laughs> and I knew I was onto something now, my, my general rule of thumb is that any link that I get from Mr. Joe Conlon from an IM window I make sure that there's no one else around <laughs> I make sure my system's patched because I know when I click on that link it's not going to take me to something nice and I do not hide it because I know you'll appreciate it yeah that's right I, I stopped hiding links because yes. I know all my friends are sick enough to like it yep for, for, for example there are some uh, we mentioned a link maybe briefly if you caught it there are some absolutely frigging hilarious videos on that site and that came from DJ Jackalope if you listen to her mix um, she is a pillar of integrity she is and she has the utmost respect in the community and, and I, she would never visit a website such as that but she mentioned so moving it, right along but it's mentioned in one of her mixes and that's where I got it it's from it's not her correct well, no I know it's not her but it's in one of her mixes and that's where I got it from I'm not saying that she shops there I, 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 is one, this how you treat what, all the guests you're going to have on your show? Yeah. This has nothing to do with her. But one of my coworkers put it. I, I, I posed the question. You know, what kind of person shops at this website? And he said, the kind of people that need to have sex on plastic. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, like, dude, are you painting in here? No, just having sex. <laughs> anyway, our last mess? story is virus without borders. Uh, malware that jumps from your phone to your PC. Oh, is this like yeah. doctors without borders? This is darkreadingroom.com. And um, I think it's very dangerous for... Um, Malware that's going to spread from phone to phone via MMS. So now you've taken out the geographical border, right? So malware can spread from MMS phone to MMS phone, and you can be anywhere in the world and receive this MMS message. This particular malware that they're analyzing, you either need to take your memory card out or connect your phone to your PC to get infected. However, and it says this in the article, what if it were to then spread from your phone to your computer via Bluetooth? Ooh. Now, couple that with the Bluetooth vulnerabilities that were just released. Mm-hmm. This could be some pretty rapid spreading malware now that jumps from phone to phone via MMS and then to computers via Bluetooth. This is worse That's than VD and Vietnam. Cool. I'm starting to disable my uh, external IOs. Yes. Uh, such as Wi-Fi and Bluetooth yes. when I'm not using them because um, it's I'm going to hack your IR. Aim it over here, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, basically, uh, you got to uh, shut that stuff off hardware-wise. If you have a little hardware switch to turn your Wi-Fi off, do it. I've been telling everybody at my office, I said, listen, there's a lot of crazy crap out there. Turn your Wi-Fi off when you're in the, when you're in the airport just typing a paper because you never know what kind of freak me is going to be right. out there doing crazy crap. Paul. You know? Paul, yes. yeah, exactly. Guys. So we're all freaks, and yep. um, you yeah, know what I mean. That uh, wraps uh, up uh, yeah, the news th- section of this show. There are some other stories of interest. Uh, go check them out on the wiki. Yes, very interesting. You'll be in extreme danger every minute. And loving it. Would you believe? Missed it by that much. I want you to make a check on all the women here and see if any of them look or even act suspicious. So it doesn't matter, right? I also use the Internet Explorer. I want to, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn how the other half lives, you know.
And we're back to wrap this bad boy up. Yes. The Singress question of the week is, is Larry. What is the CVE number for the Debian kernel do break exploit that we mentioned in this episode? Ooh, and how one. many other do break exploits have CVE numbers? Dewberry? Dingleberry? Dingleberry? Dewberry. Dingledine. I think we Dingledine. Have seen some. We're getting him on the show. Oh, Mike. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Roger Dingledine yeah. needs to be on the show. He is a pillar of integrity. All the utmost respect Everyone in the community. Everyone is pillar of integrity this <laughs> yeah. week. Yes. The uh, no, core discount code is IMPACTBSG. And Astaro has a special listener for all of our listeners. Simply a special call, discount code yes, for our listeners. Simply call one 427 8276 or visit www.astaro.com and reference promotional code PDC1006. And you can get 5% off on Astaro Security Gateway. And visit their website to also request a free demo unit. Yay! Yay! Thanks for listening. PSW at poll.com.com. You can find us there. 401 Paul.com Security Weekly, P.O. Box 860, Greenville, Rhode Island, 02828. Acceptance of beer is, uh, or uh, shipments of beer is a good thing. Yeah. I'll pick it up if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'll drink it for I'll meet you at your house. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks to DJ Jackalope for sending these CDs. Yes, awesome. CDs awesome, awesome, by the way. Go buy it, everyone. Yes. Also, sorry, sorry checker, bu- checker. machines. Yeah. <laughs> she we and we'll get a discount code for that website. Andy, soon. DJ Jackalope and Andy Lockhart Yay. will be on the show uh, in November. Yes. Sometimes. Hopefully, she'll be mixing live. That's what I'm hoping. Want. That's what I want. Is she bringing her equipment? Uh, she's going to, if she can, she's going to bring some uh, vinyl and I got some equipment. Oh, yes. Nice. Wiggity, wiggity, whack. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Paul.com Security Weekly, episode 49 for October 17th. What the hell is today? October 17th. It is October 17th. It's 19th. It's definitely the 19th. We've invented time travel. <laughs> Bringing you tomorrow's security updates today. <laughs> All right, guys. Anyway. Okay. Are we ready? Yes.